Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, truly, uh, You uh, were uh, delivered over to death um, in a very unjust manner. But um, in so doing, You fulfilled the justice of God that was uh, required of us by taking our guilt and suffering our punishment. And now, God, we want to be holy. We want to honor You in our words, our thoughts, our desires, but we remain as sinners. Lord, we struggle with the fear of man, putting people ahead of You. And we ask, God, that as we open this portion of Your Word, and um, and I have the, the privilege and responsibility of proclaiming it, I ask that You would help us to be holy, especially in regard to this issue of the fear of man. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, This morning, as you picked up from the title of the sermon, as well as uh, my prayer, we're going to study this issue of the fear of man. It's a sin that I have confessed uh, to you that uh, I struggle with. In fact, I preached a whole sermon series on this issue back in 2007. And it's a very common sin that uh, people struggle with. Uh, it has many different names in our, in our society. Teenagers call this, this sin of the fear of man, they call it peer pressure. Business people call it people-pleasing, uh, among other things. Uh, relationship therapists call it codependency. The Bible calls it the fear of man. What is the fear of man? Well, it's basically replacing God with people. Uh, other people's opinions become more important than God's opinions. And it leads to being controlled or mastered by other people or putting your ultimate trust in people above God, or in needing people more than we think we need God. So instead of a biblically guided fear of the Lord, we end up fearing other people. And so, um, the term, the fear of man. And we get this term from uh, Proverbs 29, verse 25, which I'll quote a little later in the sermon. And if you're visiting with us, um, we have been preaching through the Gospel of John. So um, we've been here in the Gospel of John quite a long time and we're just moving passage by passage. And um, we see here in John 19 an example of the fear of man as we look at Pontius Pilate. If you're saying, well, I'm still not sure what this this idea of the fear of man really is. Maybe it's a new term to you. Let me see if I can give you some examples that might help you understand what I mean. 
Have you ever struggled with peer pressure? And if you were experienced it when you were younger, uh, believe me, I think it's still there. Uh, it may be a little more mature. You may not struggle quite as much. You may not give in to temptation uh, as easily as the teens uh, when you were a teen, but, uh, but it's still there. It may be submerged and revealed in more adult ways. may be able to camouflage it a little um, better. Camouflage it by your perceived successes. But this idea of peer pressure is still there. Are you overcommitted because you find it hard to say no to other people? Or because you like to impress others with how hard you work, then you go and, and do extra to impress others. This is, a, this is an issue tied to the fear of man. Or is self-esteem a critical issue to you? This, at least in the United States, is the most popular way that this uh, idea of the fear of man is expressed. So if self-esteem is a recurring issue for you, chances are your life revolves around what other people think about you. Uh, you reverence and you fear their opinions. You need them to buttress up your sense of well-being and your identity. You need them to, to fill you up, so to speak. And there are others who take this idea of self-esteem in the opposite direction. Uh, they desire to be esteemed by others, but they're not. And so they have they've given up trying to get what they want. And so instead of living with self-respect, they cast off all self-respect. And they say that the opinions of others are irrelevant. But really, if you get down to the heart of the matter, it is very relevant to them and so relevant that because their self-esteem is not high as they perceive it, then they give up having any self-respect at all. Or are you always second-guessing the decisions you've made because of what other people might think? Are you afraid of making mistakes that will make you look bad in other people's eyes? This is also um, a manifestation of the fear of man. Or do you get easily embarrassed? And if so, people in their perceived opinions probably define you or a very big temptation to define you. And if you, you know me well enough to know how easily my, uh, my face turns red and you see that I struggle with that, um, do you ever lie? Especially the little white lies in order to cover up um, what might be embarrassing for other people to know. Um, or are you jealous of other people? If so, then you are very likely, well, you are, uh, controlled by them and their possessions. Uh, other, do other people make you angry or make you depressed? Are they making you crazy? If so, they are probably the controlling center of your life. Um, do you avoid people? Uh, 
is so, even though you may not say that you need people, and so you avoid them, you're still being controlled by them. What about dieting? Uh, I think it's healthy to diet. I think I need to learn to diet. Uh, I've made that one of my resolutions for the new year. But uh, even under the heading of better health, um, how many diets are really motivated by this desire to, to impress others? This desire for the praise of men is one of the ways that we exalt people above God. And a lot of these, like dieting, can be healthy and having a healthy self-respect and all these things can be good. But when we exalt them above God, when we exalt people above God, it becomes idolatrous. Um, maybe you say, well, I don't really have the fear of man because none of these have, um, have hit the mark for me. Well, you may be um, struggling with the most dangerous fear of man that there is. And that is um, the, uh, the successful fear of man. You know, you've got such discipline that you have uh, accomplished everything that you wanted to accomplish. You do look good in the lives of everybody else. Um, you know, before the world's eyes, you've made it. And you feel so good about yourself because other people uh, have a high respect for you. And so your life is still um, defined by um, other people's opinions, even though a successful fear of man. Um, and so you think, well, I don't really need God that much. Or have you ever been timid to share your faith uh, in Christ because others might think you to be an irrational fool? These are all manifestations of the fear of man where people's opinions matter more to us than God does. Uh, it's a universal problem. Uh, we can look through the Scriptures just off the top of my head. I came up with several people in the Scriptures, several heroes of the faith who struggled with the fear of man. Abraham, he gave his wife to another man on two different occasions because he was fearful what a man could do to him. First the king of Egypt and then Abimelech, um, the uh, local ruler in uh, the area of uh, Canaan that he was living. Peter, we saw a couple of weeks or a few weeks back, he disowned the Lord with curses because he was worried what men could do to him. Peter also separated himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of the circumcision group. We learn about this in Galatians uh, chapter 2. He was afraid of what they might think about him, what, he might, what they might say about him. Peter, fearless Peter, as he came to be known as uh, after the day of Pentecost, um, was afraid of the circumcision group. Paul had to tell Timothy not to be timid of others because of his youth. And this morning we'll look at Pilate 
and how His fear of man manifested itself in Him giving the Lord Jesus over to death. See, Pilate was caught in the grip of the fear of man. On the one hand, he had the religious leaders who were bringing pressure to bear. On the other hand, there was uh, Tiberius Caesar, the emperor of Rome, who was bringing pressure on him. And uh, he was being squeezed on both sides. See, the religious leaders, they wanted to put Jesus to death by crucifixion. They could have stoned Jesus, but uh, they specifically wanted to put Jesus to death by crucifixion. First of all, I mentioned last week that being hung on a cross meant that you were cursed. And so the implication would be um, that if Jesus was hung on a cross, there's no way He could be the Messiah. And so it would be proclaiming to all the people that He was not the Messiah because He was a curse. And of course, Jesus was a curse. He became a curse for us. But then secondly, they were also struggling with the fear of man uh, because they were afraid of the people. Matthew 26, verses 3-5, through Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill Him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And so they go to Pilate after Jesus had been arrested. Um, from last week's text in John 18, uh, they went to him. They and Pilate said, "Well, what accusation do you bring? You've arrested him. You want me to put him to death? What accusation do you bring?" In verse 29 of chapter 18, and they were evasive in their reply. Um, they simply said, verse 29. I'm sorry, verse 30, they answered, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So they don't bring a charge. They're being evasive. They're being uh, dishonest. Because they had brought a charge against him. They had charged Jesus with blasphemy in the earlier trials. But they know that that won't hold any water with Pilate. Pilate won't um, execute Jesus on the cross because of the sin of blasphemy. That's a religious um, uh, law that he broke, and so he would not execute him in the. Um, would not use the power of the state of Rome to execute him for that. So they simply avoid giving any charge. So then, this uh, raises the question for Pilate: What uh, what's going on here? So he decides to interview Jesus and see why they wanted to execute him. Meanwhile, as he's, as he's interviewing Jesus, the religious leaders realize we have got to bring a charge that will persuade him to uh, persuade Pilate to put him on the cross. So they fabricate some new charges. Uh, in Luke 23, verse 2, and they began to accuse him uh, before Pilate, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, saying that. He Himself is Christ, a King. Well, Jesus never said, don't give uh, your taxes to, to Caesar. He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. And so they just fabricated this. Um, and uh, they also began to gather the crowds. This is like 
5.15 in the morning or thereabout. But they, people were waking up because it was just beginning to be a little bit of daylight. Being in Uganda, I understand that they work a little differently than, than we do. When it's dark, there's not much to do but go to sleep. And um, so you wake up earlier. And so the town of Jerusalem was just beginning to, to come to life. And the religious leaders have begun gathering a crowd to put more pressure on Pilate. And so Pilate here is having all this pressure being brought to bear upon him. And this pressure was even more serious because he had made some very serious errors since he had been appointed uh, to be the ruler over uh, Judea. Uh, We have in uh, the Roman records uh, some of the mistakes he made. And I'm not going to go through all those different mistakes, but um, suffice it to say, the Jews were not happy with him, and Tiberius Caesar was not happy. And Pilate thought, my career may be over. And so he did not want to sentence Jesus to death unjustly, He didn't find any guilt in Jesus. His wife had had a dream, if you'll remember, and wanted him to have nothing to do with Jesus. So he's got all this pressure not to put Jesus, not to convict him. But at the same time, if there's going to be a riot, he wants to avoid that at all costs because that will certainly cost him his job. So he decided... Um, and we saw this right at the end of last week. Really didn't get to touch on it, but he decided that what he would do is use a Roman uh, custom that they had put in place. It had been in place for several decades, and it was one of the things the Romans did to, to try and make these unruly Jews just a little happier, a little easier to rule. Once a year, uh, the governor over Judea would pardon one of the... Um, one of the criminals. And so Pilate thought, I will get the worst guy that I can find. Uh, And he chose Barabbas. Barabbas was um, a man convicted, not um, not just accused, but a convicted murderer. He was also convicted of sedition and of robbery. And so uh, he put it put out there, who do you want me to release? Barabbas, this thief, or Jesus Christ? Or, or Jesus, this man you call your king? And of course, the, uh, the religious leaders had stirred up the crowd. And so the crowd said, uh, release to us Barabbas. So then he had to fall back to a plan B. His plan B uh, brings us into our passage Uh, Verse 1, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged Him. And so he thought by flogging Jesus that uh, maybe that would settle their desire for uh, some bloodletting, so to speak. Uh, The whips that they used were not like the whips you see on the pirate movies. These whips uh, had several straps. And on the end of every strap was glass or bone or metal. And when you would be whipped, those several straps would dig into your flesh and rip your flesh away. It would not only peel the flesh away, it would also cut into your muscles and even expose the bones. 
as it pulled chunks of flesh and muscle uh, away from your body. Uh, it was often um, uh, fatal if the person doing the whipping did not know what they were doing because they were very likely to hit an artery and the person would bleed out. And so Jesus, um, or Pilate put Jesus out there and had Him whipped. And Pilate thought, surely this would be enough to satisfy the Jews. But instead, um, they rejected that and they said, crucify Him, crucify Him. But Pilate then again to absolve, tried to absolve uh, from himself from declaring Jesus guilty. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, when the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Then Pilate said, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And then in verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. And when they said this, uh, this added even more pressure to Pilate because um, he, what, does he, what does he mean? He says he, he's the Son of God. And so he, he went back in and talked to Jesus and uh, so verses 9, 9 through 11, he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will, not speak, uh, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So Pilate is very intent on releasing Jesus. Uh, verse 12. But the Jews played their last and their most persuasive hand yet. This, this was their trump card in verse 12. The Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes him self a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat and essentially um, assigned Jesus over to be crucified, even though right at the very uh, end of the passage, in verse 15, he is still asking, shall I, shall I crucify your king? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. Pilate felt as if he had no choice. He feared the Jewish religious leaders and he feared Tiberius Caesar and he also feared Jesus. He was in a very difficult situation, but when it came time to make the decision, he feared man more than he feared God. And he willingly put a man he believed to be innocent to death. Pilate feared the religious leaders and he feared Tiberius Caesar, not because he loved them, not because he ultimately wanted to please them. Rather, Pilate loved himself so much that he wanted to please them. That was what was driving Pilate. His self-love rather than his desire to please um, Tiberius Caesar or his, um, his desire to please the subjects whom he was ruling over. In other words, 
at, at bottom, at, at its most basic level, the fear of man is really an out-of-control love for self. Peer pressure is so powerful because we so greatly desire to impress other people. Being a people pleaser is so tempting because we care so much about what other people think about us. Self-esteem is such a critical concern to our culture because we desperately want people to respect and admire us. So, do you struggle with the fear of man? What does repentance look like when it comes to the fear of man? Well, repenting of the fear of man by definition means repenting of self-love. It means that we will turn from ourselves and our self-love to be self-giving and being loving toward other people. I've used this illustration before to help you understand what I'm trying to say here. When is a thief no longer a thief? Well, you can throw a thief in jail, you can nail everything down, you can take away anything that he could possibly steal. Is a thief still a thief in his heart? Absolutely. A thief is no longer a thief when he becomes a generous person. And it would be impossible for a generous person to steal from others. When is a liar no longer a liar? Is it when you, if you cut out their tongue, are they still a liar? Yes, in their heart they are. But a liar stops being a liar when they become a truthful person. So when is a person who fears people no longer a person who fears people? When he or she becomes self-giving and loving towards others. Because self-love is always at the root of being a people-pleaser. And so we've got to repent of that. But we can't simply exchange one practice for another. Well, I'm going to stop being a people pleaser and now I'm going to be a people server. Repentance must go deeper than the actions. Repentance for fearing man at its deepest level must come from a fear of God. The fear of man results in us wanting uh, other people to give us something. You know, we want from them fulfillment. We want affirmation. We want security, uh, job security for for pilots. Um, we want something uh, from someone, so we please them. In other words, it is a subtle form of manipulation. Friendships are built on this sort of manipulation. Marriages are built on this sort of manipulation. And, um, and, and that is not a healthy foundation. Um, in fact, it's an ugly form of self-centeredness. Well, I will give to you if you will give to me what I so desperately need. Um, when I preached this uh, series several years ago, um, I told you the example of when I was in high school. One of the things that I would do is I would, I would get to the doors ahead of other people and I would hold the door open for them. And I would hold the door for several people. And all the while I'm thinking in my mind, these people really like me because they see how nice I am. And 
so I'm feeling really good about themselves, about myself, because of the faults that I project onto them. And even though they didn't know it, I was using them. I was using them to get that fulfillment that I wanted. In order to repent of the fear of man, we certainly need to turn to God and place our trust in Him. Proverbs 29, verse 25, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. If Pilate had trusted in the Lord, he would have been safe regardless of the pressures that were being brought to bear by the religious leaders, regardless of the pressures that Tiberius Caesar might have been bringing against him. And so for you, when push comes to shove and you've got pressures or you've got temptations, trust in the Lord because the fear of man lays a snare. To fear others less, we must need them less and love them more. We must, uh, we must love them for the glory of God. Instead of looking for ways to manipulate others, we'll ask God what our duty is towards them. That's what Pilate should have done. God, what is my duty? And the easy answer would have been to acquit the person who was not guilty. The path of service for others is the freedom to uh, is the road to freedom when it comes to the fear of man. This morning, as I conclude, I want to urge you, I want to exhort you, look to Jesus, because we are all naturally self centered. Jesus washed the feet of others. Jesus said, Without me you can do nothing. If you want to repent of the the fear of man, look to the Lord Jesus. He died to set us free from our sin. He died to set us free from our slavery to sin. He died to remove from us the guilt that we have because of our fear of man. He ascended into heaven so that He could pour out His Spirit in our hearts. Uh, His Spirit helps us to say no to unrighteousness. Helps us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in so doing, keep your eyes off yourself. Keep your eyes on others to love and serve them rather than manipulate them. Trust in the Lord because the fear of man is a snare. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that You would grant us um, freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that um, where the fear of the Lord, um, the fear of man is a snare, that you would grant repentance and that you would also um, grant the fear of the Lord that leads to love for others, service for others. Um, Father, I pray that this word. Um, and the, the very uh, poignant yet poor example of Pilate would serve for us a pointer to look to the Lord Jesus. We ask in His name. Amen.